On this episode, we discuss life itself. Seems like a pretty vague topic, Dan. Can't we narrow it down to just like ketchup? Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart Wellington. Elliot Kalen over here sitting with my boys, Stuart Wellington, <laughs> Dan McCoy, and of and course, your my, div- and my main boy, the big man upstairs. <laughs> and your DVD collection of the TV show, My Boys. Yep, yep, yeah. Uh, from TBS. It was a TBS show, right? Uh, very funny. <laughs> uh, Dan, you were saying? Uh, no, I mean, my, the time's passed. Uh, we're all together because we are in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh huh. Hiding. Beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, it's great, but we're hiding from the icy winds blasting the hotel we're hiding in. I didn't realize that uh, we were entering a movie, and that movie, Ice Age. No. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's very oh, cold outside, is what oh, we're saying. Oh, man, this is going to be a good one. Oh, it's already firing. firing on all <laughs> oh, <cylinders. man. laughs> Relatable to the listener. Yeah, they're like, yeah, we are in Madison, Wisconsin, and it is cold. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> Uh, We were here to do a live show. You are not listening to the live show. You are listening to an episode we're recording the morning after Mm -hmm. in Dan's hotel room. Mm -hmm. The place is a mess, just like just half-dressed women everywhere, just throwing French fries all over the place. Uh, Why? What? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Is that my fantasy? Yeah, I think that kid kid from Boogie Nights who throws the fireworks everywhere, he's he's around here. Oh, cool, yeah, yeah, I get it. And uh, let's not forget, and there's just like a tub with a hippopotamus in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, uh... Well, that came with the room. (laughs) And it's this like, kind of tracking shot where the camera comes into the room and it bounces from one conversation to another yeah, while, yeah. Uh, I don't know, something by like Three Dog Night plays. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were all up, well, not all. Elliot left at a, at a semi-reasonable time. I'm still later than I wanted to be up. Stuart and I got back to the hotel 2.30 a.m. Oh, wow. Oh, you're Check a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Elliot, stop. <laughs> I can't help it if I'm just on and yeah. you guys aren't ready You're ripping it. Stuart's appendix <laughs> <laughs> stitches. <laughs> when I said that joke, Stuart actually flipped over backwards out of the panel. You could just see his feet flying through the air. Okay, so this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Uh huh. And we did that. Mm-hmm. So we stuck to our mission statement. Now, uh, we watched this movie, Life Itself, which we did not watch the Roger Ebert documentary, Life Itself, which uh-huh. is a quite good movie. Yeah. I recommend it. Oh, uh, wait a minute. My plot summary is going to be really weird, guys. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but uh, this is a movie that came out, what, last year? Yeah, it was one of those. Uh, it was one of those blacklist scripts, uh, which usually means good movie that the Flophouse won't review, right? I, I think we might have asked this before, but like, can someone write in and remind us? Has there ever been a good movie made off a of blacklist script? Uh, Suspect Zero. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, uh, no, I don't. There I mean, I'm sure been, there but, must have been. But I'm I sure. feel like. There are all these movies that get made off blacklist scripts, yeah. and they're not very good movies. Guys, does the studio system work? Because I'm beginning to think uh, the fact that these scripts haven't been bought is a good thing. Uh, yes. I mean, the, the studio <laughs> system was the most consistent. Oh, well, not the studio system, oh, but like the, 
The, oh, I'm does saying, the studio system. Yeah. Like, oh, I thought you were saying, like, we need to go back to the studio system. <laughs> when it wasn't just, like, a bunch of people throwing scripts around, but, like, you had to do it, you had to pump out movies starring stars and about things. <laughs> well, yes, that also would be a, a good way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this movie, it's by the guy who did, made the show uh-huh. This Is Us, right? Yeah, yeah, So, it, this is basically This Is Movie, right? <laughs> I guess, I wish it was called This Is Movie. <laughs> It sounds like a Tim and Eric thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, it's uh, what what Dan Fogelman. I think that's his name. Uh, and he's written a handful of other movies. Um, let's just get into it. This is going to be a fucking beast of a movie. Yeah, Stuart, uh-huh. tell us what this movie is about. Yeah, I've, I've elected uh, – I was so inspired by the <laughs> majesty of this movie that I have elected to be the uh, plot summarizer. So you might just want to ride that 10-second skip button. Um, so so after a whole bunch of ochre production logos, we <laughs> – You are really going through the movie, huh? <laughs> we, we get some narration from Samuel L. Jackson as Samuel L. Jackson, a narrator – uh, we get a title card that says Chapter One, The Hero, narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, and at this point, you're probably like, oh, fuck, what did I sign up for? Because that's what I said. Um, <laughs> and then we we have a scene uh, where we have a uh, a random character being interviewed by a therapist. Played Sam- by Annette Benning. Played by Annette Benning. Thank you. Um, and it's narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, and it's very, like, I guess, like, fourth wall breaking, would it, you describe yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you think that this guy's going to be the hero of the movie. Well, guess what? That was bullshit. This guy's boring. Let's go to the psychiatrist. Maybe she's the hero of the movie. And no, a, she's not. Ha-ha, <laughs> we tricked you again. He has this long monologue about, like, when you go outside to smoke, you're not <coughs> supposed to smoke, but it feels so good, so you still do it, and your wife gets mad at you because you're smoking, and it's like, mm. it's play, it, the movie is playing all these, like, crappy fourth wall tricks that felt old 20 years ago and mm-hmm. doing it and it's like yeah you think this is the hero of the movie right real handsome wrong it's this one it's like the only reason I think he's the hero of the movie is because you've presented him to me like <laughs> it's not like I picked him out of a lineup I was like this guy should be the hero like yeah thanks for handing me this can of peanut brittle movie like, <laughs> oh there's snakes in it whoa what a surprise <laughs> it's not like I asked you to give me I demanded canned peanut brittle and I'm finally getting the comeuppance that I deserve but it really makes you think about uh, preconceived notions right guys about what brittle <laughs> 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 it's like it's also the most like glib I feel way bad to start this movie. This movie that like wants to deal in like so much tragedy as it goes on. Yeah. Uh, do you do you think there is a candy company that yeah. that uh, had to throw out all their cans of peanut brittle because they're like people don't buy these anymore. <laughs> they won't they're trust too us. afraid of snakes. <laughs> they're taking up public service ads. Hi. My name's Greg Brittle. My family's been making peanut brittle for generations. Now, it's come to my attention that a lot of people are worried about snakes these days. Well, the brittle promise, no snakes in our cans. As you can see, it's him walking the factory floor. Like, as you can see, we take great precautions to keep snakes out of our cans. We, we hire 900% local mongooses. <laughs> as the ads go on, like, they get increasingly more desperate. And, like, they don't even look like snakes. They're just springs with fabric over them. <laughs> Come on. This is done about real quick. We don't even sell our stuff in cans, really. Go to a zoo. Look at what the snakes look like. They're different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one guy had a heart attack and died because he was surprised by a thing jumping out at him. But that's not our fault. <laughs> Meanwhile, and the guy who owns a novelty company and who lost his girlfriend to Greg Brittle years ago. <laughs> like, finally, finally my revenge. Uh, now, uh, the movie finally settles on a hero, right? Oscar Con- Isaac. Yeah, con- uh, Oscar Isaac pl- uh, plays a character, Wait, Will. One who- last thing about Peter Brittle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dan? It's the only confectionery. And its name 
advertises the fact that it's brittle. <laughs> I mean, I th- I th- here's my theory about that. Peanut brittle is an old thing. And the idea that it was like, oh, this won't be hard to chew. <laughs> this will break apart easily. It's not hard tack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, but, you're letting people know that they don't risk their teeth. Exactly. As opposed to hard tack where you're like, right off the name, this is going to be hard and it's going to taste like a bunch of tacks in your mouth. <laughs> like – is this apple-based dessert going to be hard to eat? No, I think it's a crumble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so it. Uh, so we have Oscar Isaac is uh, jumps into frame just in time to distract Annette Benning long enough for her to get run over by a bus. <laughs> and that bit's like run over slash. It's it's like cartoony. Like she gets hit, and you kind of expect to see her body fly through the air and bounce. And this is the first of many on-screen deaths for women in this movie. If you are a woman in this movie, watch out. The Grim Reaper is hanging over your head. <laughs> but for now, we're just introduced to our hero. It turns the whole intro – turned out the intro was a screenplay being written by Oscar Isaac, who you know is a likable person because he is a belligerent drunk who lectures people about Bob Dylan when they're just trying to do their job. Yeah, if you're a fan of Bob Dylan, by the end of this movie, I don't think he will be anymore. <laughs> yeah, I turned, I turned to the person that I was watching the movie with and I'm like, you know what? I like Bob Dylan just fine. But if I never have to hear another person talk about what a fucking genius Bob Dylan is in my entire life, I will be happy. I feel like mm, I just not... lost Bob Dylan as a listener. <laughs> oh, but Jacob Dylan is like, fair, very fair. Uh, I'm not there. The movie about Bob Dylan that posits him as a kind of shape shifting trickster spirit yeah. uh, who has always been with us in America is less up its own ass about Bob Dylan than this movie yeah. is. So, uh, Stuart, what happens next? Uh, yeah. why, why, is, why is Will a wreck of a man? <laughs> Elliot is chomping at, chomping at that bit to try and do a plot summary. <laughs> yeah, but it's so hard. But I'm go. driving this car full. <laughs> so, we, so we see Will, now a bearded wreck of a man, uh, wandering the streets of New York, and it flashes back to time that he has spent with his wife, played by Olivia Wilde. I think her character's what? Annie, Nancy? Uh, Abby. Abby, cool. Yeah. Uh, Abby normal. They, uh, they have this uh, very long conversation in the bed uh, talking about Bob Dylan, and then he uh, – and they smash their dog named Fuckface affectionately. Uh, They're like, this is – I'm like – so it's this couple that's lying in bed talking about Bob Dylan. I'm like, I think I hate these people. And then they're like – Oh, it's our dog, Fuckface. Hey, Fuckface. It's like, yeah. okay, I hate these people. These people We're are terrible. To be charmed by the fact that they have named their pet Fuckface. And then, uh, oh, what a whimsical pair. And then <laughs> Olivia Wilde climbs out of bed and reveals a giant pregnant belly. Mm-hmm. At which both characters are shocked that she's pregnant, which is part of a joke, but it's also like, wait a minute. <laughs> Like, we're, this was meant to be a shock for the audience that she's pregnant. I don't know. No, it's like the audience is surprised, and then they joke around each other like, hey, wait a minute. Are you pregnant? And it made me realize that, like, or, or, or not, not that moment. Throughout the movie, you'll see that affection is only ever expressed in this movie through kind of, like, joke bits. Uh-huh. Like, there seems to be no way for people to show that they care about each other in this movie other than to have, like, running gag bits that they mm-hmm. do. And it's like, look, I'm a, I'm a comedy person. I love my wife dearly. Sometimes we joke around. Other times we just talk like regular people. Yeah, like you lie around in bed talking about Bob Dylan and Hoobastank. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's only because I'm trying to I'm trying to segue into uh, do it like they doing it like they do on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the Bloodhound Gang, isn't it? Oh, I thought it was Hoobastank. What does Hoobastank do? Uh, I, I they, don't they fucking s- know. Stank. <laughs> whoa, <laughs> yeah, but they, they specifically stank hoobas. <laughs> yeah. So what is a hooba? <laughs> Uh, it's like, uh, Dr. Seuss tuba. <laughs> okay, that's a good explanation, yeah. 
Yeah, so the movie, like, to the, at this point... To the, the members movie, of Hoobastank and the Bloodhound Gang, I do not apologize for mixing up yeah, your domain. We lost a couple more listeners, guys. <laughs> the, so uh, the movie bounces back and forth. Will is seeing his therapist, who is played by Annette Benning, of course. He was briefly institutionalized. We yeah, heard. we get a little info dump where he his wife left him six months ago, and he has spent half that time in an institution. Um, cue the song Institutionalized by Suicidal Tendencies. Um, and then... Uh, we so we get little snippets of their relationship. We see them at like uh, th- this is Will and his wife. We see them at a college party. We see him asking his wife out for on a date in the most unbelievable fashion possible. Yeah, it's it's very unpleasant. Like uh, Oscar <laughs> Isaac's like, hey, the reason I haven't asked you out yet is because when I do, it's going to be forever. And I just want like a, I I won't be able to stop being with you, and it has to be perfect. And I'm like, dude, this is the first date you're asking for. You are freaking this woman out. Well, they're they've been friends for a while, so she knows he's a crazy person, I guess. Yeah. She's like, why haven't you asked me out yet, Will? He's like, because when I yeah, when I do, it's gonna be forever, babe. I love you so hard, and I just like when this love builds up in me, and it's just like forever and ever, and I just like mm-hmm. God, babe. I don't like I just. Yeah, but babe, I just like can't I like can't gross. handle it. Like you are I, a creep, Oscar Isaac. I mean, everything he does in this movie. If this, is being if creep. this speech was delivered by a uh, silhouette uh, in a Zales Diamonds commercial, I would be creeped out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd be like, "How is he talking? He has no mouth. He's just a shadow." Well, that's the thing. Uh, you know, he jumped loose from his boy in this case, Peter Pan, <laughs> and now he's proposing to other female. I mean, do you think maybe he lost his shadow because the, male, sh- the shadow did want to grow up. Up and get married because it saw a Zales commercial. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should, should you talk about Stuart about the flashback to his proposal when they are dressed as Pulp Fiction characters? Man, costume. I, w- I was getting there, Elliot. <laughs> you, you just can't keep your foot off the gas on this episode. <laughs> so yeah, so the movie bounces around back and forth from him uh, in therapy to uh, times in their life, including, of course, this uh, this costume party uh, at college again, where they're dressed up like the characters from Pulp Fiction, which is, of course, the confirmation, like Elliot said, that this is a student movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this movie feels like a student film, and as soon as they, it's like, mm, then I'll have to uh, pay obeisance at the altar of Pulp Fiction. It's and like, there, oh, all right, okay. And <laughs> and there's a eerily prophetic moment where he has to reenact the uh, the scene from Pulp Fiction where he brings Uma Thurman back to life by uh, sticking Olivia Wilde with a fake syringe, and I'm like, uh oh, she's gonna die, isn't she? <laughs> Spoiler alert, she does. Uh, <laughs> Can I mention one thing about that scene also? Yeah, okay. What's he, that? He proposes to her. And she tells him that – this is me quoting, I think, because I've, I've written it in quotes in my notes. It scares her how much you feel. Uh-huh. And she mentions that she – I think that she is We've not ready. She's not ready to be loved that <laughs> that much. And it's like, god damn it. Like everything about this is so student film. Like this is someone's college screenplay. Yeah. I mean it's – and it's a way of trying to make his – like he's a – he comes off to me as like a creepy pressuring character. Yes. And the movie tries to present that as just like – like a charming thing, like what? oh, you're just a raw nerve in a cool, like a nice way. It's a, it's one of many movies that doesn't seem to realize that the character it thinks is the hero is actually has a lot of things wrong about him. Uh, no offense, uh, or not, no, no spoilers, but we're here in Madison to talk about the movie Venom, and the movie Venom has another has a similar strange thing where the hero of the movie is not a good guy, but there's another side character who is a very good guy and should be the hero of the movie. Yeah, uh, and this. Feels like that, except there are no other heroes, except Manny Patankin, I guess, mm-hmm. as Oscar Isaac's dad. Yeah, I guess so. That's fair. 
So the uh, I mean, he doesn't do much other than have a beard and sit around and be cranky. Yeah, but, but he's Manny Patinkin, so of course you love him. Yeah, of course, yeah. So the the uh, we get another flashback of Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde visiting uh, Oscar Isaac's parents the day of uh, the day from the previous flashback where they were in bed and their Oscar Isaac's parents are played by Mandy Patinkin and Gene Smart. And you know what? It's nice to see Gene Smart around. Don't worry, she's not going to be in the movie long. <laughs> she's a woman in this movie, so she will meet a tragic end. Yeah, yeah. You can there, you can basically start a ticking clock at this point. Um, and they it, clearly Oscar Isaac's parents are very excited about having a baby. They they talk about how they prayed that he would meet a woman with dead parents, which is insane, <laughs> so but, that they wouldn't have to share the grandchild. But it's very important to know that like the stupid fucking Bob Dylan conversation and this uh, lunch, this is all on quote the day she left me. Like, and mm-hmm. you've probably guessed what that having left means already, but we'll get to it uh-huh. <laughs> because we have to talk about Abby's backstory, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's Abby's backstory? Uh, Will tells us very quickly that Abby's parents died when she was young in a car crash that she witnessed. She was in the car and Uh survived it. And he goes into detail about how her dad was decapitated by the steering column in front of her eyes. This, of course, translates to her being given to the custody of Uncle Perv who molests her for years until she threatens to sh- – like, no, she does shoot him in the leg, right? Yeah, she shoots until him in the leg. she gets a gun from, as Will describes it, some gangbanger and shoots him in the leg. And it's like, movie, you do not get to throw all this shit at your character yeah. and just kind of brush it aside as if it's like a quirky back – like to describe it, Will's like, yeah. pretty nasty, huh? Sucks, huh? Pretty bad. It's like, movie, like, don't yeah. stop doing the this shit. dad got decapitated and she got molested for several years. Like, this is not – uh, like, you can't do this to, like, this movie does not deserve this. No, and the movie is not impressing us by how hardcore it is. Yeah. We're not like, whoa, this movie means business. Because it started out with this fucking jazzy Sam L. Jackson <laughs> narration. Like, Oh, by the way, Samuel Jackson never comes back in the movie. Yeah. the he, They could only book him for an hour, I guess. Uh, I mean, don't you see him on screen when they're watching Pulp Fiction at one point? Yeah, I think you're right. I guess so. <laughs> the, the thing about this kind of tragedy porn is that it doesn't actually have the courage to, like, not saying that this is a movie that should show a guy getting decapitated and squirting blood all over his daughter or something, but like you can't just like talk about you, you don't get credit for talking about how grisly something is. Do you know what I mean? Dicks or didn't happen. That's what, you're <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah. I, think, I think the the problem I have is that with a lot of movies like this and like Garden State is a movie like that too, mm-hmm. where and or like any movie where there's like this girl like or this girl's fucked up and that means that translates as a zest for life. Which exists to pull the main the the male hero out of his funk, yeah. and it's like I don't I'm, I'm not a big fan of the of the trope in stories and movies where it's like all these terrible things happen to this woman, and that's why now she's a free spirit. She's kind of a wounded bird, mm-hmm. and you know what? She's just trying to fly free on those broken wings. She's trying to take those broken wings and learn to fly again. Dan, take it. I can't afford to. Use this song, Alex. <laughs> do, do we pay for the songs? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. So you say you couldn't afford the cost to your soul. <laughs> so wait, exactly. wait, what have I been doing with all this money? <laughs> <laughs> the envelope that says songs on a damn, <laughs> what happens just, to it? You just take $100 and put a song sure, on the envelope. I've been embezzling from us for a while. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, that, that, that's, that's how fair. I feed the cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a euphemism, right? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta feed the cat, boys. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's it's really – it's just like gross. So she it, has moved on from all this trauma and she is the brightest and smartest student in her school. Mm-hmm. And she's a literature major and she has 
has a very specific <laughs> thesis that oh, she's working it's on. So stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. And uh, spoiler alert, flash forward. She gets a bad grade on her thesis because it's not about literature. Stuart, what is her thesis about? <laughs> her thesis is uh, it's she's obsessed with the idea of the uh, the unreliable narrator. Wait, which... hold on. Earlier in the movie, weren't we kind of dealt with a series of unreliable narrators from Samuel L. Jackson to Oscar Isaac and on? Wait a minute. This movie's great. I just realized. I just the realized. way it comments on itself, the way it tells you what it's doing while it's doing it, it's I'm, amazing. It's, I didn't realize that there were so many layers to this movie. And, and her thesis is, isn't life itself the original unreliable narrator? Yeah, and that's the moment that I flunked her out of school <laughs> while I was watching the movie. She's like, she's like life is the unreliable narrator because you never know what's going to happen. And it's like, that's not what an unreliable narrator is. <laughs> yeah. Like, if they, I, I, although her being like, isn't life the unreliable narrator? It does fit well with our fake news world that we live in where you kind of believe whatever facts you want to believe in. So maybe she was just ahead of her time, you know? And it's, it's kind of weird because there's really not that much uh, – <laughs> There's not that much unreliable narration in this movie in a way. Like you have a bunch of different narrators that kind of lie to you, but there's not like I, – I guess it's it's not like multiple people seeing uh, – It's not Rashomon. Yeah. It's, it's not like – you or it's not even Usual Suspect where you're like, oh, all the stuff I saw before is in a different light now that I know this information. It's not Hero featuring Jet Li. <laughs> it's, but it's like – Yes, right. She's also like so fucking excited that she got her thesis idea. She like comes in like in a whirlwind, like declaiming to the entire room. Like Oscar Isaac and also like his buddies are just like hanging out. Like I guess also fascinated with what she's saying. And like, and, and you're right. You're she needs a better friend circle to be like, uh, calm down, dude. <laughs> well, I've never seen anyone so fucking excited about like a thesis idea. She's just full of life and vim and vigor as yeah. anyone who had suffered years of abuse would be. <laughs> exactly. Anytime I've. <laughs> Anytime I feel like I've cracked that very difficult role-playing adventure I've been trying to write and I run up and tell my wife, she doesn't seem very excited. <laughs> I mean, that happens to me where I'll be I'll be like, I figured this thing out and I want to tell somebody and they'll be like, uh-huh, all right. Like the, like the time I hugged my cleaning lady because I beat a very difficult boss in the video game Bloodborne. <laughs> Doesn't Oscar Isaac do like a like – a, like a, uh, a double take where he spits soda no, all over no, the place? No, like a beer – like – a keg stand after that or something like that it's like, college yeah. it's college immediately after she leaves like that's mm-hmm. kind of a good joke like, <laughs> I she's guess. like so excited about her thesis and he's like well back to my keg stand but also like what <laughs> yeah he's got some hard work to do it's the middle of the afternoon <laughs> she's had a tough life but what kind of privilege is it where you're like my thesis for my literature class is going to be this weird philosophical statement that has nothing to do with literature guys yeah. i don't have to play by the rules but yeah. anyway uh so and will says to his therapist maybe he's an unreliable narrator and we're like wait Wait a minute. Am I supposed to believe anything I've seen before? Is this whole thing just a book that somebody else is writing? I we'll, was, we'll get to that. I was so ready for it to for right now to for it to be like and cut and they're on the set of the TV show Life Itself <laughs> and like it turns out one of them is an actor and, and they go off and have their own adventure or whatever. Oh man, that would have been crazy. Yeah, like no. a real Black Mirror, right, Dan? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think that's what Black Mirror's like. But. And then, like, he gets involved in a murder by accident. He's like, what do I do? And it turns out the whole thing is being dreamed by Cthulhu in his house at Raleo while he waits dead dreaming yeah. until the stars align. Yeah, and then there's an animated sequence. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, what happens next, Stuball? So the uh, so we flash back to Will in the therapist's office. He is asked to talk about that the day that uh, his wife left him. He um, he he talks about see, uh, having spoken with his wife since he got out of the institution, which is basically just him freaking out. 
Um, he's like, oh, come back to me, blah, blah, I miss you, blah, 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 blah. And in a lot of these, in a lot of these flashbacks, in a lot of the uh, future flashbacks we're going to see, we actually have the characters that are having the conversation like walk through the whole thing, like it's a memory palace. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty great. And I like, I always like wonder the logic of that sort of thing because like, Annette Benning's there like seeing the memory with Oscar Isaac, and, and I'm like, is he describing like everything? So perfectly, well, that, it's, like, it's like you've it's seen Inception, dude. You don't have to. You just got to do the broad strokes. Well, even the fact that he's walking through a memory where he's seeing himself, and like, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but my memory does not usually involve a vision of me because unless I'm not looking at a mirror constantly, like, my memories involve my point of view on the event. You're, you're not Vanity Smurf. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm Vanity Smurf. I'm that bookworm one that has the glasses. What's his name? Uh, pedantic Smurf. Right. He's the one. Yeah. Someone's like, I Smurf over the Smurf. I'm feeling Smurfy, and Pedantic's like, uh. Uh, actually, you're feeling Smurfo. <laughs> Smurfy is a misnomer, uh, but the, it's but it's it's like um, uh, it's it's the drama melodrama version of what we've talked about many times before. Those compilation movies they show on Cinemax, where it's like, well, I heard a story about my friend and her boyfriend, and it just cuts to a sex scene, and it's like, so is the person describing the sex scene? <laughs> and they're also just sort of just having sex, like it's not really a story. I mean, I guess there's a beginning and a middle and end, so there's a climax. Yeah. Oh, because oh, that's falling action. Right? Oh, oh my god! Oh. And not enough rising action afterwards. So I guess what I'm saying is. Stuart turned into a, a Fox <laughs> studio audience from the 90s. Ow! <laughs> I guess because Christina Applegate just walked in. Uh, th- th- here's the thing, guys. Isn't sex the ultimate unreliable narrator? <laughs> uh, I'm going to need to see your thesis. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so we see. So wait, are there's got to be some porn called like defending her thesis or something like that. I mean, I could imagine. I don't know. Dan, quick. I'll quick, Google it. You're already on Pornhub. <laughs> type it into the. Go to your favorite section. <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> favorite section. <laughs> PhD porn. <laughs> Go to so, the employee recommendations. <laughs> Do they have that? Yeah, with like a little description about why they like it so <laughs> much. This, hey, Brad says this one was super hot. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, Brad, uh, Brad's Brad, Brad has never let me wrong. penis to ejaculate. <laughs> and somehow Infinite Jest is also on the shelf of this employee recommendations. Yeah. Like, yeah. we get it. I'll read it someday. Yeah, I, I get, you like good books. Cool. <laughs> um, the So we see a continuation of the day where Will and Abby met, uh, spent some time with Will's parents. And then they're walking down a familiar New York street, a street that was featured in the earlier nested sequence. Uh-oh. The one where Annette Benning got hit by the bus. Uh-huh. Um, but this time, a different lady, Abby, gets hit by a bus. Uh, wait a minute. His <coughs> wife didn't leave him. She didn't leave him. She left this earth, dude. Uh, by the way, she gets hit in the bus. We we'll find out another reason she gets hit by the bus later, but she partially gets hit by the bus because she's backing into the intersection while talking to while him. While talking mm-hmm. about she came up with the perfect name for their daughter. Yeah. Uh-huh. What's that? Uh, who's the human being that gets talked about in this movie as if they are a semi-divine presence? Oh, so they named the child Roberta? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> for Bob. Oh, I, oh see, I see. Yeah, no, no. They named the child Fuckface after their dog. <laughs> oh, wow. No, she's like, she's like, I got the perfect name. Did, like, did Garth Ennis write this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of women do get killed in terrible ways. That's so possibly. true. Uh, she goes, she wants to name their daughter Dylan. 
Uh, but before he can tell her, that's well, after ter- Dylan Thomas. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, after Steve Dylan, artist of preacher, <laughs> written by Garth Ennis. Uh, before he can say, "Please don't name our daughter after this musician you can't keep talking about," the bus hits her. The bus hits her, and leaving a result that is described later in the movie by a different narrator, it eviscerates her. Which is another time where this movie is like. How grisly can we describe this horrible thing that's happening? Especially since, as we learn, their daughter survived the bus accident yeah. and was born perfectly healthy. So, like, maybe it's just that the ultimate airbag is to be inside of a human being. I don't know. To have the cushioning of a human body around you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue the science of this situation. But no, but I have to assume that the bus hit her, her body splattered into pieces, and the baby going, Wah! flew through the air, landing in her father's arms, and he said, I'm not ready to be a dad yet. Uh, and uh, Will is, how does Will react to this revelation? The doctor saying, face well, it, Will, your yeah, wife's that, dead and you have a baby. Yeah, like, he and Will hasn't seen his his newborn daughter yet. He's been in the institution and crazy in uh, coffee shops. So his reaction <laughs> is to say, I don't want to be here anymore. And then he pulls out a gun and shoots himself in the head, mm-hmm. which the movie has primed us to believe is just another fake out. But it is not. No. Oscar Isaac is gone from the movie. The man that all the ads would have suggested is the hero of the film. And uh, the narrator suggested that. Is gone. Yeah. So cue another title card. Uh, what, 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 what happens next? What chapter is it? We're on chapter two, Dylan Dempsey. And we see basically uh, an episode of a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> <laughs> As everyone she loves dies whenever another. Yeah, which is actually appropriate. That's an appropriate joke because Dylan Dempsey is, uh, you know, two D's back to back. What's that? What's that type thing? Alliteration. Called? Thank you. It's an alliteration, which is something, which is a device used in a series of unfortunate events. So uh, I'm smart. Um, <laughs> can, uh, t- yeah, say what happens because I have a point I want to make. So at this point, they uh, they kind of rush over uh, their new daughter's childhood. Um, where she lives with her grandparents. Well, grandparent, because it, they quickly mention how uh, Gene Smart's character dies. Uh, and then they also talk about how a very important person dies, their dog fuckface. <laughs> so yeah. It's like she lost her grandmother and then her best friend. Do we see her saying goodbye to her grandmother? No. We see her saying goodbye to the dog. And the implication is that the death of the dog was – at the same level as the death of the grandmother, or maybe more important, and it's like, come on, movie, like, how? What are you? Like, what are you doing? Come on. Yeah. And then we get a couple of. Then we get a scene between uh, Grandpa and Mandy Patinkin with a very white, snowy beard. Uh, it get. Don't worry, it gets whiter and snowier. Until uh, <laughs> yeah. he comes Santa Patinkin. <laughs> uh, between this little girl and uh, Mandy Patinkin, where they each speak uh, very eloquently. Uh, about how they're feeling, but it turns out that's all just a fake out. That's what they should be saying, but instead they're like, "Uh, how you doing? Uh, I'm good," you know. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the girl has a has a has a speech about how she's so much tragedy has been laid on her feet, and now. And on her back, and now what? She's going to live life to the fullest, mm-hmm. and Mandy like Pat- a series of unfortunate events. And Mandy Dickin has that speech about like, "I love you so much, I'm never going to let anything ever happen to you again." Blah blah blah. But you're right; it's just another mm-hmm. f out, a fake out. That is. I, I had a question, guys. Yeah. Never thought of this before. Do you think there are any elderly people who went to a matinee showing in New York of Mandy, thinking it was a movie about <laughs> Mandy Patinkin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... Uh, or about the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, faces melted off midway through. <laughs> they're like, halfway through the... As Nicolas Cage <laughs> stares in horror after his wife's death at the Cheddar Goblin ad, they were like, when is he going <laughs> to sing Finishing the Hat? <laughs> <laughs> 
so we then get a flash forward where we watch uh, this character Dylan grow up until she is played by actress Olivia Cook, another Olivia. Um, and yeah. at this point, she's now like a super cool punk rocker. She's got a yeah. neck tattoo. She's got dyed red hair. I love it. She like, smokes cigarettes. The way you know it's her she's, 21st birthday. The way you know she's a bad girl with who doesn't care about the rules is she smokes a cigarette in front of her grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, She's a... Uh, I don't know whether you – they have – like Manning Patek and her have like a little conversation. That's not really that important. But the, they go out and – And uh, they do their little joke routine where they each take a drink and go, ah, yeah. which they've been doing since she was a little girl. Mm-hmm. That's again, how you know they're the same characters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At different points because this is a, an adaptation of, of the story All You Zombies <laughs> where someone travels through time to be their own father, mother, and self. But now she's now the front person for a band and uh, she's – What's the name of the band? Uh, I fucking forget. PB and J because oh. they talk about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a bunch in this movie. Okay, oh my so, god! Uh, <laughs> and they and they have a pile of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on a tray that I, anyone can take at the performance. That sounds like a traditional New York City. Punk I guess show. It's like yeah. the way you uh, offered free pizza to anyone who came to your comedy show. Because otherwise, nobody would show up. So the implication is this is not a popular band. Yeah, but the, the, I was gonna say it's like she's the front woman and she. Sings, of course, a Bob Dylan song, mm-hmm. which he starts out, you know, just like playing the piano, and she's got a, yeah. and you're like, oh, this is a nice voice. little, this is a nice little piano song. Mm-hmm. She's got a nice voice, and then it, like it turns into this screaming punk song, and yeah, she like has a, a s- terrible voice for punk singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like really a slappy work. ass punk song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird. I don't know about you guys, but like, if my parents were really into Bob Dylan, and I grew up to be like a punk. I would not be into fucking Bob Dylan. Well, it's like I could see it if she's like if it if the performance was her being like, "Fuck you, mom and dad, for disappearing." I hate Bob Dylan. I'm gonna fuck up his song to get back at you. Uh-huh. Like I could see if she was like, "This is a this is a performance piece where I'm gonna ruin a Bob Dylan song," but that's impossible. Bob Dylan is the love and the light of the universe. Oh, Jesus Christ, he's the, he's the soul of the center <laughs> of the what galaxy. Did I just say, <laughs> Elliot, take your hands off me, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Uh, maybe we should just kind of sit back, spark up. Mm-hmm. And listen to the words of America's premier poet, uh, humanity's premier poet. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Nobel Prize winner, Bob Robert Dylan. Mm-hmm. What was his last name? Uh, yeah. Some Jewish name, anyway. Yeah. The uh, so it's like Konigsberger Jacobsburg. So our new our new hero gets in a fight uh, by the PB and J station uh, <laughs> with a woman who is filming her on a phone for some reason. She's like, so yeah. Dil- D- Dylan is making out with her with some guy, uh-huh. and this woman is is shooting it on a phone, and she's like. You taking pictures of me and beats her up, and it's like, our, is, so is this our hero? Like, yeah. what is going on? And also, like, why I mean, are you filming cool. her? It's is, not yeah. cool to film her, but like, it's an extreme overreaction. She like breaks the woman's phone and then sucker punches her and, also, and beats the shit out of her. Why, and the woman is getting such gl- like, I would expect if these characters were fourteen years old or fifteen, she'd be filming on her phone. I'm like, I get it, like, but they're in their twenties, so mm-hmm. like, if someone's making out in a corner, who cares? Like, I don't. Why are you not going to make out somewhere? Like, what? Well, I don't get it. You know. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like the right like you're at a rock club. People should be making out in the corner, like the dark corners of that place. Unless right? there's a scene that got cut out where she's like, "One more show, Grandpa," and then I'm entering the convent. And uh, so okay. this person is like, "This is good blackmail material. I'll show this to the mother superior that she was making out with the guy at <laughs> the rock club." That's a very complicated. I was like, maybe that guy's somebody else's boyfriend or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, that's a possible reason too. No, let's make it more complicated. So, so she beats Dil- up that lady. Dylan wanders the streets, chomping on PB and J before she ends at a park bench. <laughs> Classic at a, New York walking food: peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She ends at a park bench at a very familiar New York intersection. Oh, that's right! It's across the street from.
from the Ghostbusters house. <laughs> JK, JK. It's the place where her mom died. So she gets to see her parents uh, have that one last interaction yeah, she while she talks vision. to them. She has a dream. She uh-huh. has a little vision and she sees a magical little boy standing in the front of the bus that hits her mom. And then uh, that's the end of that scene. <laughs> yeah. This character gets the shortest shrift of any character in the movie. Dylan? Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a woman. She exists only to die or to give meaning to the life of the men in the movie. Because mm. guess who we sw- jump to next? We go to chapter three, the Gonzalez family. <laughs> <Da-da-dun>. That's right. <laughs> this character, this, this, so the movie has already shown that it that a movie made by, I assume, a sort of upper middle class white man, American, uh-huh. doesn't really know what it's like to live in America as a person, uh-huh. as, a, as a white person. So it's time to go to an Andalusian <laughs> olive farm. Time, time, to, time to tell the story of a, of an, a family of olive pickers in Andalusia. <laughs> and, uh, and our man, Tony B, Antonio Banderas shows up uh, looking kind of like Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> it was a he little looks, confusing. He looks, he looks sharp, though. I mean, he's a handsome man. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Oh, yeah. yeah, he looks like a fucking comfort daddy. Yeah. I mean, compare him to <laughs> in Haywire, he has a similar beard, but uh-huh. he's not in as good a shape. Uh-huh. And here he just looks like he's doing great. Yeah, man. <coughs> I can't and, get enough. And Tony, like, to be honest, we watched an interview with a vampire not that long ago, uh-huh. and watching this, it's like, I wouldn't think as much time had passed as has between that and this. So Antonio yeah. Banderas looks great. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, when you're a child of the night, things change uh, change differently. Um, yeah, or and the rhythm of the night keeps you going. <laughs> yeah. So we are introduced to uh, two characters at this point. We have uh, Antonio Banderas, whose name is – I don't remember. Uh, do I have it anywhere? He's the boss. He's yeah. the boss of it. He owns an olive farm. He owns an olive farm, and he has an interview with one of his laborers named Javier, who seems kind of quiet and contemplative – and he invites uh, he invites his worker into his sprawling home. Oh yeah! And he looks amazing, like a comfort daddy, and has this conversation with him, telling him about his uh, his own personal history, about how he comes from a complicated. Uh, to be honest, I kind of zoned out. It was about yeah, his like dad was a bastard, and his mom was like from Spain. Was, it, was Italian? Yeah, his dad was. Oh no! Oh, his no. dad was Italian. And his mom was from Spain. I think. I uh, know. Like, I think it's the other way around that. I think you're right. That, I remember something about drinking olive oil. But the mom was the one who brought the Spanish olive oil. No, no, the dad would send it back to them. What? Oh, no, I'm thinking of the other thing. No, no, the mom was the one who... <laughs> look, the the dad was the bastard. The, the mom point, was the one he liked. That's and true. that's why he went and he got to the olive oil business. The point is, yeah. though... <laughs> the whole point is that... This I'm is a long again. fucking monologue that has no <laughs> yep. bearing on the rest of the movie and would be the first thing I cut from this film. <laughs> once again, it's another instance in the movie. Antonio Banderas was like... Everyone gets a scene in which a woman is shit upon by a man in some way. Why don't I get to do that? But what if I gave you a monologue about how your mom, who was a saint, was really treated poorly by your dad? Excellente. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we 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 qu- we see these two men are very different. Antonio Maderas talks a lot. Javier is very quiet. He whistles just for himself, and yeah. his big mouth is only for the other yeah. men. <laughs> he makes a yeah. He makes a like a point to his boss that he's like, "What is inside? That is for me." You know, you do not get that. And I will give you my work, but what makes me happy is mine. And Antonio, well, I like this. Uh, I like this new character you're doing. Yeah, Dan, let's keep it going. So, so how do you feel about uh, like the DC Universe movies? <laughs> those are for me. <laughs> Aquaman is for you. But those the rest are, are those for are me. not for the critics. <laughs> yeah, what about like what about like uh, like the prequels? Like those are not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, there's whole thing. Uh, uh, Antonio Banderas is like, let me tell you this long story to explain why I care about the olives I grow. I see. 
this thing in you. You also care about the olives. You sing to them. You whistle to them. Why is that? And Javier's like, you don't get to own that part of my soul. And Javier's think, uh, supposed to be, I think, like this principled man uh-huh. whose principles go too far. But as we learn, he's kind of an idiot. He's just kind of a oh, moron. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll go on to that later. So they reach an arrangement. Antonio Banderas uh, wants Javier to uh, be the new foreman and run the farm uh, because he picks olives with his hands instead of a rake. And uh, <laughs> he will have he will let him live in this nice house and he will give him a significant raise. Um, but Javier makes sure that Antonio, that he, that's, that's it. That's, it's a business uh, arrangement. I won't be your friend. I'm not going to be your friend. This is, we're going to keep things cool and profesh, right? (laughs) Well, I don't think that's going to work out. He's like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to pick olives. (laughs) Now, as you would imagine, it immediately then cuts to a flashback where Olivia Wilde's character, Abby, is working on her thesis again. (laughs) And they reveal that she, she fails her thesis. But also the guy who failed her is a jerk. So, uh. So what does he know? <laughs> so we then uh, we then go back to Javier. Uh, he has just gotten this huge raise in this new house, and he goes to visit his uh, his girlfriend. And the movie gives us a little bit of a fake out because he's approaching a table full of women, and it's like, no, no, no. He's actually in love with this other beautiful woman who's working as a waitress. Can you imagine? <laughs> and luckily, she spills everything. So you're like, she like clumsily drop stuff so you're like oh you're she's like, attainable yeah <laughs> she sometimes is clumsy <laughs> yeah, so the gravity still has some effect on her so even though she is incredibly gorgeous she is in some way different from this other table of beautiful women and also it's also one of the things where it's like it's the fake out is like oh he must be with one of those beautiful stylish women nope with this beautiful waitress and it's like uh he is an olive picker like the idea that he would be going I mean, out with like olive, a glamour he's an Olive Form. farm foreman. But we didn't know that. But she didn't know that yet. So the idea that like, no, no, no. He just cares for this humble waitress who, again, is beautiful. Yeah. So they, what, they, uh, does he propose? They agree to be together forever. Yeah, and they, then they, they celebrate. They around by, in a fountain. <laughs> they celebrate by clowning around in a fountain, which feels like they just, that was the only place they could shoot in that <laughs> yeah. town. It's much like, uh, to skip ahead, there's a scene where these characters go on a vacation to New York, and it's like, okay, so you had half a day to shoot around the south end of Central Park. That's all they do and see. Uh, but it, it, I wonder if it's like, it's like, we must express our love and our joy in the only way that we can here in Spain. By reenacting the opening of Friends, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so the yeah so we we get like a series of montages of them living in this big house and we see them get married we see her uh, uh, Isabella get pregnant we see them have a child mm-hmm. um, and then unfortunately t- Tony B comes back <laughs> into the picture and starts creeping on his wife. Uh, so Javier thinks, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like he's being pretty creepy. I guess dude. he's being a little creepy. But that's this is the one instance where the things that he's do, he's doing things. He's that, like, I have so much, but there is only one thing I don't have, and like arches his eyebrows. But I th- but what he's really getting at, I think, is that he doesn't have a family. Uh huh. And the, the relationship he really starts building is with Javier's son. Yeah, Rigo. Yeah, and it's not like a. It's one of these things where it's, yeah, at first I think you're seeing it a little bit through Javier's eyes, and it's like, uh oh, what's he doing? But as the movie goes on, it's clear, like, oh no, Antonio Banderas is a very good man, and like he just he's sad that he doesn't have a family, and Javier continues to shut him out for almost because of his own jealousy, which is the movie's point. Uh-huh. It's not like the movie's on Javier's side, but at the same time, it's like movie, like come on, like just can these characters just like get it together? You know? 
Yeah, they put a lot of effort into this one. Um, like, so this inspires them to go on a New York vacation. Antonio <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vendors gives, gives Rodrigo, the little boy, a globe, and Javier palms the globe in one hand, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's got those big olive-picking hands. And, uh, and you would think he would crush the olives. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I'm kicking you upstairs because you have failed. At, you, like, I'm promoting you through incompetence. You'd crush all the olives. So <laughs> i got to put you somewhere you can't do any damage. And he goes, no, no, no. No gifts for my son. And it's like, at that point, I'd like I'm just so turned against him because I'm like, uh, if someone gets, wants to give my kid a gift, great. You yeah. know, I don't have to buy him a present. You're gonna do it. <laughs> Wonderful. I don't and, know. Uh, I mean, the I, my only my, my only defense of Javier in this moment is that he kind of made it clear that he wanted to keep things kind of professional. That's true. I'll and, give you that. And, and Tony B doesn't want that. And the narrator, who at this point we don't know who the new narrator is, yeah. the non Sam Jackson narrator, mm-hmm. but the narrator says like, oh he. He like what's Alfred's name again? Which what? The Alfred. Javier. Guy? Yeah, Javier. I was like Javier though was not a stupid man, so he started planning a vacation. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, like he sees that uh, Antonio Banderas has placed dreams in Rodrigo's head of going yeah. to New York. So Javier's like, oh, I can take you to New York. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to New York, um, and they have a whirlwind time through <coughs> part of Central Park. There literally is a, a shot of them sitting to have a caricature drawn of them, and I'm like, oh, so they went for the real tourist stuff. <laughs> like these characters are not cool. <laughs> wow. Uh, they, they're, they're, not, they, they're not investigating the underground theater scene while they're in New York. And they, they take a sightseeing bus, which unfortunately is the same bus. You got it. It runs over Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Why does the driver not see Olivia Wilde backing into the street? Is it because the little kid's like, <laughs> he's an agent of chaos and can't, he's <laughs> yeah. like final destinationing this shit? Yeah. yeah, he walks down the aisle saying hola to everybody. And he uh-huh. says hola to the driver. And the driver's like, oh, hello, little boy. And like... Turns away from the street for a very long time. For a long time. And Javier's like, don't talk to, talk to the driver. It says so on the sign right there. And, mm-hmm. and so this kid is a murderer. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'd say that, but he is, as Stuart I mean, says. manslaughterer, probably. Yeah. He is an agent of chaos. Yeah. That he has destroyed his own family. He's destroyed the relationship between his dad and his dad's boss. And now, of course, the life of Olivia Wilde. Uh-huh. And it also it also kind of destroys his life for a little oh, while. Yeah. It like severely traumatizes him. He can't sleep. His uh, incessant crying makes his turns his dad into like a crazy demon drunk. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, where we see, yeah, we get a little montage of Javier and Isabella's relationship deteriorating. And it's rapidly. a lot of like sitting at a table, scowling at each other, and then one of them making a remark, and the other one like slamming a glass against the table. You know. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's still. They still got a pretty nice house. I mean, one crying kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big house. Get a bedroom on the other side of that huge house. <laughs> no, it's. Yeah. Uh, as, as speaking as someone who yeah, just ha- take some of those olives, stick them in your ears. Yeah. <laughs> that's what God made them for. <laughs> yeah, that's why they're so they're shaped that it's way. Delicious. <laughs> I mean, an olive, the pit in it is God saying, "Put something inside of another thing." <laughs> okay, put this in your ear the way I put the pit in the olive. Uh, that's um, that's yeah. the parable of the olive. <laughs> yeah, and God, you know, God is in heaven right now, and He's like, "I tell you, humans, just a few things," and I try to be so clear. My whole gospel is about putting olives in your ears, and no one's figured it out yet. So at this point, uh, Antonio Banderas shows back up, and he helps uh, Rigo go to like a, kind of an expensive therapy to help yeah. him get over his trauma. Um, unfortunately, and this allows him to weasel his way back. Into yeah, the he just he it's you know it's that little crack that he just pries open, and uh, this uh, things come to a head. Eventually, Javier's like, you know. 
clearly you want to be with my wife. You love her. And he's like, I totally do love her. And he's like, okay, they're your family now, dude. <laughs> and, he, and Javier abandons his family. Yeah, and, he, and he, he's like, <coughs> you know, he tells his wife, he's like, yeah, I got a job as a mechanic, so you can stay here with Antonio Banderas forever. And she's like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, she's like, I kind of want you to stay. <laughs> like, you're yeah, my husband, you. who I love, and you're the father of my child. Why are you leaving? Yeah, here's the thing about Javier, and I couldn't tell if this was offensive or not, is it's the idea of, like, the humble, simple peasant who works works with his hands on the soil and he just has his principles he lives by and he may not be a he may not be a school smart man uh-huh. but he has his he has his his life honor but it's taken to such a crazy degree of like could, like just him being dumb and like can you not see how what's actually going on around when he's like I took a job as a mechanic now I can leave and you won't have to deal with me and his wife is like I'd rather you stay and not drink anymore like that's <laughs> I still like you it's yeah. the, the problem is not you but so Antonio Banderas, I guess, marries marries this woman who now uh, is husbandless, and we get chapter four, Rodrigo Gonzalez, <laughs> where we get another fast forward. Uh, Rigo is now a grown up uh, college age well, we, dude. We, we see him like running, and there's like a series of dissolves as he gets older. And I, I at this point in the movie, I said, wouldn't it be crazy if at the end of the series of dissolves, he's Oscar Isaac? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, movie. That doesn't make any sense at all. This is an inconsistent timeline. How does this line up? And then what? He like when he shoots himself in the head. Actually, Doc Brown shows up at the last minute and sends him back in time. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, well, yeah, he keeps running, and eventually he's he's an old man with a cane. And you're like four legs, two legs, three legs. Uh, Now we can save Thebes from the Sphinx. He's he's running and running until he gets to the Flash's time treadmill and just rips yeah. a portal through space. Uh, but it is so we uh, get we because I was thinking that the, I was thinking a similar thing where I'm like, how long has he been running for? Uh, so the this is the point where the movie is like, I don't feel like we've touched all the uh, tragedy bases. Uh-huh. Let's give this mom cancer. <laughs> yeah. So Isabella, yes, is sick. She's got cancer. Um, but she has aged very well. I mean, time hasn't uh, time hasn't stopped. Oh, I mean, what's amazing is that a few of the characters age purely by being themselves, but like they get sick. So like she uh-huh. does, they they don't really age her so much as they make her look sick. Like Mandy Patinkin is roughly the same age throughout the entire twenty one years of his granddaughter's life. Mm-hmm. He just dyes his hair whiter. <laughs> He's like, I can't let the humans know that I am <laughs> I am an eternal. <laughs> I have to wait until it makes sense for this character to die so that I can shave my beard and start my new life <laughs> as Randy Patinkin, yeah. a race car driver. <laughs> So he uh, he's excited. Uh, he's been accepted to uh, college at NYU. I'm assuming. Well, he he just says he was accepted to to the university, and I guess he goes to NYU as a as a transfer student or something yeah. like that. Um, and his now that that's the most important detail in the movie. <laughs> uh, his mother, despite being sick, she makes her son leave, um, and he heads off to New York City. Well, he she eventually makes him leave. He like, sticks around, he sticks for, around a while. for a while. Uh, spoiler alert, later on he meets, um, what's her face? Dylan. And like, he meets her on the night of his, of her 21st birthday. Uh-huh. And he was like, what, like eight or 10 at the time of the bus crash. Yeah. So like he, he like deferred school for like nearly a decade to yeah. make these timelines Well, maybe work he had out. some military service in there. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I don't think he was eight or ten. I think, I think like he was like six or seven. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't have know a child. <laughs> you're like you're like he was clearly seventeen years old when he's walking down the bus. Saying yeah, you're not gonna like everybody. nobody like cut his finger and count of the rings or anything. <laughs> he defers for for a fair amount of time, and like the movie is, it's hard to tell like how much time is supposed to be have it's passed. A, it's a very elastic timeline. Yeah. Uh, but he goes to college, <laughs> he and go, of course, and he excels. Top student on the track team. Most important thing, though. He meets the best character in the movie. That's right, <laughs> Sherry Dickstein. <laughs> Tell us about Sherry Dickstein. Too. Sherry Dickstein is this like broadly drawn, loud, like oh, broadly you think <laughs> broadly drawn, loud college girl. But you know what? This is an injection of life and character that this movie so desperately requires. There is only one thing wrong with this character. Yes, that is her name is Sherry Dickstein. And Hilarious. she is the most Gentile looking person they could have cast. <laughs> and I'm assuming that they wanted to go for maximum contrast with Rodrigo, who he's Spanish. His skin is slightly darker. He has he's, dark hair. And he's kind of quiet. And he's quiet. So they went with like a loud blonde girl who like a very – she looks Midwestern. She does not look like, – but her name is Sherry Dickstein from Long Island. Yeah. And she's clearly supposed to be like an upper class like Jewish rich kid who goes to school and is dating this guy – Maybe more for the life experience than anything else. Yeah, well, and he is. like, and he goes back to visit his mom, and he <laughs> tells her, or he tells his mom about her. We can't really say much about her other than that she's loud. He's, and I'm like, he, hell yeah, she's loud. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, she comes from a magical place called Long Island. Uh, <laughs> That's how she pronounces it. Yeah, she says Long Island. She is such a character caricature and so aggressively unpleasant that you're like. These I don't know people you're about. would not date. <laughs> no, never. They, I don't know how they meet. It's like, they, and it's one of those things where it's like, in any other movie, I would be like, I'm kind of offended by this character. She's so broadly drawn. She's so abrasive. She's so thin. But in this movie, like Stuart saying, I'm like, oh yeah, give me the energy, give me the life. Like here's and here and the actress is like playing her to the hilt. Like the uh, and and you know what, Rigo's kind of kind of feeling the same way as Dan because he's about to break up with her until she tells him. I'm pregnant. What? Whoa. But she does it super cash. Yeah. So she, she does it super cash. She plays it off, you know, perfectly. They're, you know, they're walking down the street. They go for dinner. Rigo's in his head. He's like, what am I going to do? Well, There's a for, moment they where she. brunch. Br- whatever. Man. They're NYU students. It's brunch. <laughs> they're walking down the street. There's a brief moment where a car's about to hit her. And I'm like, that's what's going to happen. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but then just fake out. He pulls her out of the way of the car. She never even notices because she's so busy mm-hmm. being like. Should I get an abortion? Where should I get my abortion? What abortion should I get? Yeah. She's laying it on real thick. He saves the cat in this case, right? He proves his value. (laughs) So they go, they go to brunch and she finally drops the hammer. April fools, bitch. She she goes, goes, so I see we only have three options. One, have it. Two, get an abortion. Or this is the most amazing April fools joke ever, bitch. And, And he's like, Okay. <laughs> April Fools. <laughs> and she's like, she has to explain the concept of April Fools to him. And it was like, movie, why did you? And you Which, know, instantly like, I this feel is the end of her time in the movie. And I feel it, bad that said. Sherry Dickstein, man, like, she put so much effort into this performance. I was I was as shocked as everyone that this was an April Fools joke. This is the one. This is the one. To pay off like misdirect that actually works in the movie and it works because she is so over the top already <laughs> talking about this pregnancy that I was like I was like how could she be so casual about this oh I see mm-hmm. so but like and then of course he dumps her because how could you not so the, after that the narrator had previously made us believe that this was the most important day in, uh, in, Rodrigo's, in life. Rodrigo's life and we assumed it was because he found out he was a father that is not the case it's because his mom dies <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. well, it's not the only reason as we see yeah, there's nothing, but uh, uh, her mom died. His mom dies, and as his mom is dying, uh, Antonio Medeiros is like, "I've got a special surprise for you." Uh, 
audience, show show her what she's won and who should walk out, not looking like he's aged either, (laughs) Javier, the man who abandoned her 10 years earlier. And this infuriated my movie-watching pal. She was like, what, we're supposed to believe this is a fucking good guy because he comes back when she's dying? He abandoned her. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. And he comes over and they hold hands and they're smiling at each other like, Good to see you, buddy. <laughs> hey, remember all those times we shared? It's great. Wait, what have you been up to? Dying of cancer? Cool. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we learned that Antonio Banderas has for years been writing letters to Javier. Which feels like a huge betrayal. Uh, yeah, a little bit. He's, because he's uh, giving updates to the man that abandoned his family. <laughs> and I have to assume that at a certain point he stops asking him to come back in the letters. And the letters become really perfunctory. And it's mm-hmm. like... Dear Javier, hope you're doing good at that mechanics garage or whatever. Rodrigo's doing great. Isabel's doing great. Still won't sleep with me. She says she'll never love me the way that she loved you. Hey, so anyway, peace out. Cool. <laughs> the olives are doing good. I noticed you never ask about them. <laughs> Do you think there's this, they cut a scene where Antonio Banderas has to break the news to the olives that Javier is going? <laughs> yeah, they just all fall off the tree in the morning. He won't be here to stick you in your ears, his ears anymore. Yep. So, so uh, at this point, this is where we realized that this was all just a long episode of How I Met Your Mother. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because Rigo goes jogging and he bumps into, uh, I guess, a newly awoken Dylan Dempsey who was uh, sleeping on, sli- de- on the bench where she went to and had this dream vision of her mother's so, death. So Wait, this did- was a very eventful day. For Rodrigo, he he breaks up with his girlfriend, his mom dies, and he meets his future wife. Most important day of his life, they said. Man, that's gotta that's gotta make like in their in their future life, that day's gotta be a a rough one. That's a rough anniversary to celebrate. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's a bittersweet. Uh, This also raises the question. So, Dylan, kind of, it seems sort of. There's, I think, there's a hint that she recognizes him from her dream vision of seeing him as a boy in the bus Uh when Abby died, and it's like so. Did she get so mad and drunk that she tapped into the collective memory of the universe yep. at that point? Mm-hmm. Like, is she, is it, did she eat that herb that lets her go to where her Wakandan ancestors live yep. in the afterlife so she could talk to them about what happened? Mm-hmm. Like, she probably did that. Because <laughs> they shouldn't have cut out that scene because Black Panther was huge. <laughs> if they yeah, could tie think, this into the Black Panther universe. Yeah. <laughs> so, and guys, then the, then the, the real hammer drops, guys. Mm-hmm. We find out. This was all a book. (laughs) (laughs) It's a memoir called Life Itself. Uh Uh-huh. Written by and being read out loud at a bookstore, at a surprisingly well-attended bookstore reading, considering the quality of the material. So it's, yeah, so we're now into chapter five. We're in the home stretch, guys. I don't know what the title was because I so angrily scrawled these (laughs) notes at this point. (laughs) Can I give you the the two crazy things about this reveal? Okay, Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Number one. Uh, the woman, it's, it's, it's the daughter of Rodrigo and Dylan, yes. uh-huh. uh, who wrote this memoir and she's, <coughs> she's like, and they didn't spend a night apart for the next 42 years. First off, that is bonkers. They just met. They're going to spend the next night together too. <laughs> yeah. But also like for 42 years, like no one went someplace for a night without the other person. It really hurt both their careers because they could not do business trips. It's it's especially complicated considering he has family on another continent. Like they oh, had true. to travel together all the time. Good that point. is one hundred percent insane. But number two, <laughs> depending like depending on when the movie starts. Yes. Okay. Like this woman is either giving this. Uh, book thing 42 years in the future or now or 63 years in the future oh, oh, I, because of the 21 years yes like, 
that Dylan was. Yes, so, Dan. Like, there should be fucking like space boots or something. <laughs> that, like. That's what's my issue with the movie. Crazy. Like, this movie, starting from Abby as a little girl through her granddaughter as an adult, yeah. the movie all seems to take place in the year 2017. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like. Everyone, it's like in There shouldn't a- be bookstores anymore. Everyone should be <laughs> like, reading on their, like, fucking brain scans. Because then I started thinking, like, so if that's now, was the rest of the movie taking place in the 1970s? Because they dressed up as Pulp Fiction. So maybe they're supposed to be in college in the 90s. Yeah. But everything else about it looks just like right now. Like, but then she would still be in the in the 2030s when, yeah. she, when yeah. she's reading this For book. only the moments where it's ex- <coughs> it's explicitly meant to be a flashback, that's the only time when we get the feeling like something takes p- place in the past. So it like all takes place in this like nether constant world that yeah. seems terrifying because I don't want to be trapped in fucking 2018. No, that would be terrible. <laughs> it's like the worst thing ever. Like that's the true tragedy of this movie. There was some kind of Kurt Vonnegut style time quake and oh. Trump remains president for oh. the next hundred years or something. <laughs> it like the it's it's such a weird it's a weird choice and he does it so that to keep you off balance so yeah. you can't in your head know what the timeline is until the very end. But instantly you're like, hold on a second. So like, <laughs> what is, is going on happening? in this world? Or like, is is technology cyclical? And everyone decided they hated e-readers and stuff like that. Like, well, and guys, I I haven't attended a lot of book readings, but is it usually the decision of the author to basically read the, the last book? Well, the and specifically like the last chapter, <laughs> like to finish it up. Like, oh, well, we're all done. You don't have to buy it. I'll be accepting returns in a minute. <laughs> well, that's. Like the, uh, I assume she read the entire book except for the Sam Jackson narrated part. <laughs> I mean, it, no, she, yeah, she they, played that off they, of the they tape. They brought Sam Jackson in for that. I mean, there was when Jonathan Lethem's book Chronic City came out. Uh-huh. He did do a stunt where, over a series of I think nine readings, he read through the entirety of the book. Uh-huh. But that was explicitly a stunt. Yeah, and it was like people would go and sit all night listening to this. So it's like. Unless she's doing that, in which case she's just ripping off Jonathan Lethem, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, like. It's yeah. Usually, you don't read the very end of the book and then go close and go, and that's the book. But it's we like we did it. Somebody, I forget who it was, tweeted something about like I'm a college professor in the movie. I don't get to the point of my lesson until the very last minute, and then I yell at you to do your homework as you're walking yeah. out. <laughs> like that's what this feels like. Where it's like a real book reading wouldn't go like this, but I really need to do it for my movie this way. Yeah. And there's like one last flashback where we see like the dying mom talk to Rodrigo and she gives him some advice. That but really the crazy is like kind thing of about it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. And the crazy thing is she's giving this speech to him when he's a little boy. So was she <laughs> dying for his whole life? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. So here's my take on that. Or did he morph? Yes. My take on he that. He morphed? You my, can well, morph? My take on that. And this is the one like, like how Sherry Dixon is the one moment in the movie where I was like, actually, this might not be so terrible. This is the one technical thing he does in the movie that I really like a lot. Uh-huh. Where, so she's giving him this speech about, you need to go to college. You can't stay with me while I'm dying. And she's it's a terrible speech. And I have give the actress, I forget her name, playing Isabella credit because it is all in one take. Uh-huh. It is terrible. And she really does a good job yeah. performing what is a very poorly written speech. About life has its ups and downs, but love is always there. And I'm always going to live on through you. So when you live your life, I'm living that life. So uh-huh. I need you to go and live this life for me. And then it cu- and she's talking to him as he's about to go off to college, and then it cuts back to him, and he's a little boy, and he hugs her, and I'm like, like in that moment, I'm like, okay, that is like that we're seeing his emotion right there. We're not seeing him physically. We're seeing his relationship to her in that moment. Even though no matter how much he grows up, he'll always be her son, always be her child, and uh-huh. she has the only place he can find that. Like he's had so much trouble being a boy. Since mm-hmm. that bus accident, and the only place he feels safe and he ple- feels oh, okay. comforted is in the arms of his mother, no matter how old he gets. And I'm like, uh-huh. okay, like that's a beautiful, like that was a genuinely like, if this was a better movie, I'd be like, that's a beautiful. It reminded me, it reminded me of uh, at the end of the movie Tempopo, which is all about people eating. 
The <laughs> shot, the shot over the credits is just a mother nursing a baby, mm. and it's like, and it, I found it so powerful because it was like, oh, that's what people are searching for when they're looking for food their entire life is they want that first meal when they were e- feeding off their mother and what they were eating was the love and care of another human being. And like you'll never feel that connection from food that you felt when you were feeding from your mother's breast, but you're searching for it. And everyone oh, – Okay. It's like that, 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 that first bump. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> the first – and that high, you never reach it again. And so in that moment, I was like th- – that's kind of a beautiful way for – I felt like for him to show that thing. But it's done really haphazardly. So it's possible I'm wrong and it turns out that's not what he meant. Uh-huh. And it does seem like he morphed into his young self. <laughs> <laughs> that like, like Michael Jackson at the end of black, the black or white video, he's just changing shape as he finds his ultimate form. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a but, panther. Yeah. <laughs> <And so> the, <laughs> a <protean> figure <laughs> decides on panther. <laughs> panther who then breaks a car for no reason. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think he has a reason. Do you guys remember when that video came out and there's that whole sequence thing where he's smashing up a car while yelling? And people and re- constantly grabbing his crotch. And, and people reacted as if this was the most offensive thing they'd ever no, they, seen. There's a huge freak out. <laughs> a huge freak out. And looking back, I still don't understand what the problem was. Was it the crotch or was it the violence? And it's like. I'm like, all he's doing is trying to get some extra points after a Street Fighter match by smashing up that car. Like, <laughs> yeah. what's the big, what's the big deal? Yeah, it's a bonus round, dude. I, I remember well because it was like, and now the debut. It was like right after the Simpsons. Like, stay tuned <laughs> for the debut of Michael Jackson's new video. It's like looking back, it's like, why, why, why did that happen? <laughs> he was huge. It had Macaulay Culkin in it. Yeah, it was dude. Like, people were like, hold on, the Titanic talents of Michael Jackson, Macaulay Culkin in one production. Mm-hmm. I gotta see it. And then looking back, it's like it was a huge buildup. And then looking at that video again, it's like this is kind of a silly video. Yeah. <laughs> that it starts with Macaulay Culkin's dad getting mad at him about playing music. Macaulay Culkin blasts the music so hard that his dad's lazy boy recliner is shot across the world to Africa. <laughs> And then there's some hungry lions looking at him. So I guess it's implied the dad is eaten. And then, of course, the song starts. It's <laughs> like, what is going on in this thing? Uh, so he hugs her in what I found to be beautiful. It's very confusing. And it's, okay, we've just heard this stupid speech that sums up the movie. Movie over, right? No, because his daughter, finishing her book, has to do the same speech, basically. <laughs> and yeah, it's the same speech. We get some, like, Benjamin Button-style shots from uh, characters previous in the movie. Uh, and then, like, it ends with uh, Oscar, Isaac, and Olivia Wilde. Just yeah, saying, no, hey, just, what's up? Just talk, Just being like, hey. Doing that thing that couples do in movies where they wake up and go, hey. Or they go, like, they finish sex and look at each other's eyes and, eyes and go, Hi. It's yeah. like, uh, I hate it so much. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'll write, the, I'll, I'll write this note down, Elliot. Next time we have sex, I won't say hi. Stop looking in my eyes and going, hi. It's hi. like, I know you're here. Polite, we just had Elliot. sex. I didn't black out from my orgasm, and now I have to remember what's going on and where I am. It's I didn't have to, momentum. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? I, I'm not Dana Carvey in blank from? slate. <laughs> wait, wait, he's a blank slate because he comes too hard? I never saw the movie. I assume, I assume that's the case. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, bu- bust and make someone feel good. <laughs> make someone feel curious and, and, and confused. So, guys, I, that I was think, life itself. I think that's the whole movie. That's the movie. I did want to take a moment to tell you guys again on on the record about a dream I had the other night, which I told you about yesterday. God. I had a dream where. Stanley presented his first pitch for the powers for the X-Men, and the only one who was still the same was Angel, and the rest were all different. And one of the X-Men's power was that he could make women come with his mind, and and the and Martin Goodman, the editor, the owner of Marvel, was like, "You got to change this, Stan. <laughs> like this is for children. We can't let that be his power." <laughs> the only other character I remember his his power was that he was really sticky. <laughs> so this is a dream.
dream I had. Anyway, life an effect is. that can be achieved by covering yourself with a gun. <laughs> so you say that as if that's super easy to do. <laughs> All you have to do is cover yourself in gum. Like that takes a minute. <laughs> Yeah. Haven't you watched Dan's two minute long life hack video? Here's a life hack. If you're not sticky enough, just take ordinary gum and apply it to every square inch of your body. Remember to leave one inch open so that your skin can breathe so you don't die like the woman with Goldfinger. Or as I call it, Gumfinger. The movie in which James Bond has to stop Arik Gumfinger from stealing all the gum in Fort Wrigley. Okay, so that was life itself. Stuart, you did a fantastic job of summarizing a Thanks, very guys. <laughs> Let's uh, do final judgments. Was this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like? Stuart, what do you have to say? Uh... It's tough. I think uh, I wish this movie was sillier, so it would be a good bad movie. I mean, this is this might be this is worse than Gotti. Like this is a bad movie. Oh, we have, we owe Gotti a big apology. This was much worse than that. Yeah. Um. So no, I think this is a bad bad movie. It's I don't think it's silly enough or fun enough to watch to make it a good bad movie. I guess it's curious because of how terrible it is. I'm gonna say, Stuart. When I the first half of this movie, I was like, "This is a bad, bad movie. I hate it." Uh-huh. By the end of the movie, I was like, "You know what, movie? You're so crazy. I'm gonna call you a good, bad movie." I think if you watch it by yourself, you're gonna get mad. But if you watch it with people, where you can be like, "What? Mm-hmm. Huh? What?" There are times when I was like, "Book of Henry, move over. There's a new crappy movie in town." Yeah, I watched it together, and like the more we talked about it, the more we like had like a sneaking affection for it. We're just like. That movie was so crazy and so weird, and there was so much shit that went on in it. Like, and it's a movie that thinks it is so profound and yeah. so clever, and it's very dumb and and hollow. Uh-huh. And so, like, it's it's got yeah. that that perfect sweet spot. Once you've seen the whole thing with another person, I guess between intention and execution, where it's like I'm gonna blow people's minds with a statement about love and Bob Dylan and family that just like is a capstone on human achievement, and then you watch it and you're like, what? I feel like scene? I feel like in some ways this actually makes a really good date movie because you will have a blast <laughs> talking about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I'm giving it a good bad personally. And it's and it's also Her, like oh, you turned into a cat. Turned into cat woman. Turned the kid into woman. I guess we're all doing morphs now. <laughs> yeah, cool. I wish somebody that, told me that movie was a perfect crime. I mean, I feel like it's also a good way if you're on a date. If uh, it turns out the other person loved the movie and really connected with it, you're like, uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. With Check, please. <laughs> yeah. Is there a dog in a car at a bar on the street? Yay! I'm Allegra Ringo, a small dog owner. My dog Pistachio howls when she's excited. And I'm Renee Colvert, a big dog owner. My dog Tugboat tips over when he's sleepy. And we co-host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog that airs every Tuesday. We bring you all things dog. Yes, dog news, dog tech, dogs we met this week. We also have pretty famous guests on Butt Legs. We're not going to let them talk about their projects. No. Just want to hear about those dogs. We don't want to hear about your stuff, only your dogs. So join us every Tuesday on Max Fun. 
this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. And we have a podcast called The Art of Process. We're talking about how the creative process is in itself an art form, in our opinion. There are underlying forms and structures that serve as a scaffolding for any creative endeavor. We've been lucky enough over the past year to talk to some of our friends and acquaintances from across the creative spectrum to find out how they actually work. We weirdly don't know as many musicians as you would expect. New episodes will be coming every other Monday. Starting January 28th. So please listen and subscribe at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we have a couple of advertisements. Sponsors. <laughs> Thank you, sponsors. Thanks for helping us stay afloat in this boat that we call the SS Flophouse. Toot toot. Dan, what are the commercials? Uh, well, support from the Flophouse comes from Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. At Casper, mattresses are perfectly designed for humans. Good. Engineered to uh, I think soothe... You, I think, Dan, you mean perfectly designed. <laughs> Engineered to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. What? <laughs> I don't know. I'm reading the copy. Okay. Apparently, we're a bunch of squares and cylinders and circles. I mean, and an artist would tell you you got to break down the figure into basic forms and shapes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what Casper's doing. I mean, then you it's, fill them out. You don't just leave them as like a. Well, and that's what Casper does too. Man. I mean, Cas- it, you still have geometry even if you're a person. Yeah, look, Casper, I'm on your side. You're the artist of mattresses. Okay. You, you can't can- spell mattress without the words, the letters that are in art, but the word <laughs> itself is not like in mattress. Uh, that was pretty good. I like that one. <laughs> you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk free sleep on it trial with free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, I have a Casper about, mattress. Yeah. It's a delight. It's served me well. And I've had it for. You made that gross. <laughs> you, you did make that gross. I, have, I didn't. There was no implication. The way it was, it was your it was face. All it's, all, it's all on all your face. All you had face. to say was, I got a good night's sleep on it, but it served me well implies any number of uses for this mattress. None of them wholesome. Uh, look, you can get $50 toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash flophouse and using promo code. Flophouse at checkout. Casper mattress. It's like sleeping on a ghost. Terms and conditions mm-hmm. apply. Um, and we also have one Jumbotron. Jumbotron. This is for, and I'm going to mangle his name, Trutzel? Trutzel? Spell it out. It's true. Uh-huh. T-Z-E-L. Well, how would you say that? Yeah, uh, Stuart, why don't you give it a try? Okay, I got this one, guys. It is Trutzel. <laughs> And the the message is from Rob. I got that one. I think Andres got you a real wedding gift, but I figured this would be was more appropriate since you used to play the flophouse for Shireen when you were dating, even though she clearly wasn't interested. (laughs) I'm with Shireen. Plus, I wanted to hear how Dan would pronounce your last name. (laughs) So excited that you found someone you love. You both mean a lot to Andres and I love Rob. That's that's a lovely sentiment. That is very nice. That's very sweet. Um, I'm glad that you baked into it, Dan, being unable to pronounce certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Every time you see a word that you've never seen before, you know it's a you, you might not be able to pronounce it the first time. So this is going to be. <laughs> that's true. So let's not be too hard on Dan. The guy's doing his best. God love him. Wow, is this like a setup? What are you doing, uh, Stuart? <laughs> Dan was hit by a bus. Oh, wow. But the baby survived your father. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to go see that baby. 
Uh, oh, I thought we were going to see Where is it? Movie. I, I mean, I, I left it at home because I didn't think you'd want to see it. But You wait, left you, it at home? <laughs> I mean, what? Alone? Yeah, yeah. Is the cat taking care of it? What's uh, going I on? figured if the wet bandits stopped by, the baby could just set up some traps. <laughs> but uh, Stuart, your reaction to it was the regular human reaction of, I will, I still love this baby. Mm-hmm, I still love this baby, As yeah. opposed to the Oscar Isaac reaction, which is, I'll never see this baby again, and I have to have my horsemen attack the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess I'll make a robot baby. What other Oscar Isaac movies are there? Uh, a little movie called Star Wars. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And then he's like, oh, I don't trust Laura Dern. Maybe she has a baby. A little movie called Ex Machina. I mentioned robots. Keep moving. Uh, Annihilation. Uh, he's like, uh, sometimes I have a southern accent and sometimes I don't. Uh, the Coen Brothers one where he's a singer guy about Bob Dylan. Uh, <laughs> Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis, yeah. Uh, he's like, let me let me sing you a song. <laughs> a Most Violent Year, is that what those? Yeah, uh, I like yeah. that one. Yeah. That's all right. It's got a great like, car chase in it. And it's got some great outfits. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. If on inter- Outfits and interior design, I give that movie 100%. Mm-hmm. So this episode's going to come out one day before we have our live show in Brooklyn, so we should still promote that. You de- we definitely should. February 3rd, Super Bowl Sunday in Brooklyn mm-hmm. at the Bell House. Maybe yeah. you were a New Orleans fan who is feeling maybe not as interested to watch this sham of a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. The Shamper Bowl, let's call it. <laughs> Doors open at 7 for 8 o'clock show. Get there early to get a seat if you like that sort of thing. Yeah, and by that you, sort of thing, I mean sitting down. If you don't <laughs> like standing and like having – if you like resting the pressure of your body on your butt instead of your feet, <laughs> get there early. Uh, as the Bell House people may know, it is a mostly standing room place, mm-hmm. but it's also got some seats – uh, Make sure you bring identification because they are very big about carding. They do card. Uh, that you, if they were a if they were a pop artist, they'd be Cardi B. Oh, uh, okay. If they were if they were <laughs> a going. if they were a famous person famous for being famous, they would be Kim Kardashian. If they were a sci-fi writer with say let's say bad political views, uh, they'd be Orson Scott Card. <laughs> and if they were in Star Trek, they'd be Robert Picardo. <laughs> Cool. If it's always were, from. If they were in Freaks and Geeks, they'd <laughs> Why did be he say Gremlins too? Cardellini. I mean, more people know him from Star Trek than Gremlins too. What? Uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. <laughs> if you were a me- if you were the oppressor of the Huguenots in France, they, they'd be Cardinal Richelieu. <laughs> um. So. If they were Harrison Ford's character in Blade Runner, they'd be Deckard. <laughs> If they were a show that I haven't watched for a long time, it would be House of Cards. Mm-hmm. If they were a game that I don't enjoy that much, but a lot of people I know enjoy it, so I end up having to play it, they'd be Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> if they were my dad's favorite sports team, they would be the Cardinals. Oh, cool. Nice, he did nice. Cardinal Richelieu, but that, that's, that's still good. Yeah. Still a bit different, yeah. still good. Uh, but the point is, we're going to be talking about the Happy Time Murders. Sunday, February 3rd, Super Bowl Sunday, the Bell House. You know what it's like. Come on. Come on down and see us. Uh, so as often as the case in these hotel room episodes, I have not chosen the letters beforehand. Ooh, uh, that wow. often happens when we're doing it regular too. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, just, off the top of the dome. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> dealer's <laughs> choice. <laughs> this is going to be interesting or not. <laughs> uh, hey, peaches. This is from. So wait, is this the letter? Yeah, you chose one, or are you just talking <laughs> <Yeah>. to us? <laughs> this is from Eric. Last name withheld. That's Eric right. Roberts. Hey Peaches, thanks for coming out to Frozen Ass Wisconsin last night. This is a this is a new oh, letter. Wow, this is oh, hot wow. off the presses, which <laughs> yeah. is good because it's very cold out. We need yeah. something hot. Dan has to wear an oven mitt. It's so hot. Great show. Made my birthday. And he's weekend. wearing it on his penis. <laughs> weird. <laughs> very weird. <laughs> Made my birthday weekend complete. The only bad part was when you said, "Let's have two, no three more questions." When I was number four in line. 
I'm oh, sorry. man. That was my mistake. I should have said four questions. Anyway. And then we could have had a Passover Seder. Anyway, here's the question I was going to ask. The end credits for Venom have funky graphics with songs from Eminem and Run the Jewels. Mm-hmm. This makes me wonder, what are your favorite opening or closing credits, either visually or musically or both? Keep on flopping Eric last name withheld. I mean, I'm a purist. It's hard for me to fault any Saul Bass credit opening credit mm-hmm. sequence. I particularly like North by Northwest myself. North was great, and I love the Psycho opening sequence. The music is amazing, and it's literally just lines going back and forth across the screen, basically, but it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it, like somehow really sets up the movie you're going to see without actually showing you anything related to the movie that you're about to see. I don't know. Uh, the movie Watchmen is pretty terrible, but I think the <laughs> opening credits are super great and with uh, the times they are a change in playing over it. And it's just like series of little musician. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, it's like a that's uh, if you have any interest in watching a film version of Watchmen or a TV version of Watchmen, which I guess is coming, just watch the opening credits and then not watch anymore. And I gotta say that closing credit sequence of Into the Spider Verse, yep. where it's literally just like tons of Spider Man doing all sorts of crazy silly stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is exactly what I want out of the world. Yeah. Like it, that was that was really fantastically done. This is a movie that's lost a little of its luster for me because it's just kind of like nihilistic and who who cares. Uh, but Seven, when I first saw it, mm-hmm. an amazing opening credit sequence and. Very effective closing credit sequence just by just by running the credits in a opposite direction of the normal. Yeah, I forgot way. about that. Did you uh, when, uh, were you like me in the theater and you like did a handstand because you're like I, I must have messed something up. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in uh, during my brief time that I lived in St. Paul, uh, I went to the art museum there and they had a uh, presentation that was just about the art of the title sequence. They had like mm. thirty title sequences and it was so much fun. I wish that like I wish another place. Could do that again, so I could go see something like that again. I mean, okay, maybe they will. I mean, any museums are listening. Do <laughs> yeah. it. A, a, a humble request by Dan McCoy. Um, what? I remember one of them was the opening to Barbarella, where like the letters of Barbarella keep like covering yep. up her like bits and pieces. Yep. And uh, but very well put. <laughs> very very sensitively described, <laughs> but, especially in the life itself episode. But. Uh, it just more than the title sequence itself. It just struck me how stupid the song is for Barbarella because, like Barbarella, Cockleshella, <laughs> there's a kind of something about you, my Barbarella. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, this is so sixties, like, but it's not even from the sixties. Like, it's yeah. I think uh, one something that I used to not like, but I like a lot now is uh, is the big credit sequence at the end of the movie. I remember seeing High Fidelity, and there was a big credit sequence like that at the end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would you put this at the end instead of the beginning? But <coughs> now that they put – especially with like superhero movies, they put them at the end, and it means that you can use the characters from the movie in the sequence without it being a spoiler. And it's kind of fun now to see these like kind of fantasias on the theme of what we've just seen in the movie. Like just design, just the characters being used as design elements in neat ways is really cool. It's like – Every every super movie gets its own like James Bond credit sequence, but they can use anything in the movie because they don't have to worry about tipping you off yeah. the plot point. And the and I should have mentioned the James Bond credit sequences, which of course are crazy. Are they? Wait, is there something about those? They're not just super normal credit sequences. <laughs> no, I, I mean they usually have uh, lady silhouettes shooting abstract objects. <laughs> um, geometric bodies. Um, <laughs> This is from, let's see, Holly, last name withheld. Politely. It's titled Love Letter to Stuart Wellington. Oh, cool. I hope it's on my ex-girlfriend, Holly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get down to business. Y'all just finished doing your live show in Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. 
It's kind of crazy that this episode is going to be all responses to Madison Wisconsin. It's going to be released before that. Way episode. before. <laughs> <laughs> We've got so many live shows to get to before this Madison show. Anyway. Uh, first of all, thank you. Second of all, Elliot, Dan, and Stuart, please don't forget to come back to Madison when you have the chance. Side story. My roommates and I pre-gamed tonight with some very delightful green and copious amounts of Tito's vodka. Cool. They pre-gamed for a popular concert and I for a live podcast taping of the Flophouse. <laughs> While none of my friends wanted to join me in seeing the show, lame, I, sit, I sat in my apartment after the show thinking I should send an email in this current state. I follow the story by asking, if you were to insert yourself into any college party movie scenario, what movie would it be and why? Feel free to include delightful stories of college shenanigans. I'll be ending this email with the most important part. Stuart Wellington might be the most beautiful man I've ever seen. (laughs) While podcasts are mainly audible format, I have lived this long not realizing that Stuart is truly on par with Chris Hemsworth. Wow. I've seen him in real life. I may have been too intoxicated to ask for his hand in marriage too late, but I wish... He knows that he is as beautiful, and I would order him a pizza anytime. Oh, wow. Now, let me just say that Stuart Holly. may just have appeared the beautiful next to me and Dan, who are <laughs> not at the same level. No. Mm, yep. Yeah, please. Yes. Yep, please, <laughs> knock, knock me down a little bit more, Elliot. <laughs> hey, I just don't want you to get too big ahead, Mr. Hemsworth. Uh, oh, man. Uh, yeah, he's is he the most attractive Chris? I don't know. Uh, no, Chris Pine. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, look at those eyes. Just oh, man. Just fall into him. <laughs> Just beautiful blue diamonds. Uh, <laughs> blue uh, diamonds. Question is: Most college movies we've come to realize are reprehensible. I mean, if I could go to any college party in a movie, I'd go to the college party in life itself to tell Olivia Wilde not to marry Oscar Isaac. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, set her down a path of bus, uh, destruction. Look, this is all going to lead to you being hit by a bus, mm-hmm. and your daughter, your granddaughter, is going to write a shitty book. So let's not even do this. I mean, uh, I feel like my college experience was closer to uh that movie pcu <laughs> okay uh but uh, lightly. uh but um no i feel like my uh i feel like i don't i don't know uh, whatever um i'd probably want to be in like everybody wants some a movie that i've extolled the virtues of multiple yeah, times that's, that's like your fantasy movie you it's, it's 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 my fantasy movie <laughs> yeah i just see, I see you thinking about like oh that's that those were the days those guys those, those guys seem like they had a good time yeah maybe I'd go <laughs> they, to, they, they don't seem that uh irritating <laughs> maybe i'd go to that party in revenge of the nerds and be like that's not your boyfriend it's a nerd in a darth vader costume don't yeah. sleep with him yeah <laughs> yeah revenge of the nerds is a rough one yeah I yeah. mean, I would basically be uh, Ogre showing up yelling nerds over and over. <laughs> Who knew that Ogre was the hero of the movie? Yeah. I'm looking up college movies. Sorry. Uh, pitch Perfect? <laughs> I mean, I could see you having fun singing, singing, yeah. singing rockapella with them. I would, I would, that would be a delight. Um, I don't have any, like, many college stories. I, my friend Brian Davis uh, used to have a, what he called, soiree in his... Dorm room every Wednesday, like literally every Wednesday, a dorm room party. Mm-hmm. And uh, my main experience of those was half the time just stopping by being like, hey, I've got a paper to write. I'll see you guys later. So that's about the kind of partier I was in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't go to any parties in college. Yeah. I was too busy did, living the you, life of the city. New yeah, York, why didn't you guys is. go to parties? They're fun. Well, I mean, I was in New York, so I was busy solving crimes. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're delivering pizzas into the sewer system for yeah. the Ninja Turtles? <laughs> yeah, for the Ninja, yeah. Desperately searching for them. Desperately oh. seeking Susan all the time. <laughs> oh, wow. What a movie. The, uh, there was a, I would be like getting ready for a party, and then some brassy dame would walk in with a story, and gams from here to heaven, and I'd have to get mm-hmm. involved with some shenanigans. Yep. A web of deceit and seduction. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I'm still looking for another suitable letter. Vamp, vamp. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, blah, blah. Blah, blah. We're vampires here in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, so, okay. why would a vampire be here, Elliot? Oh, that's a good question. Let's why do some would, character work. Why would a vampire be here? I mean, what, what, it, are there, is there a movie set in the Midwest where it's like an ordinary Midwestern family, but they have one ancestor who's a vampire who lives in their basement and they have to keep him a secret? And then they've been successfully able to do this for 200 years since the family came to the United States. Uh-huh. But now, for some reason, they're unable to do it. Uh, wait, is was that a rhetorical question? I'm wondering or, if that no, that's a good idea. Otherwise, I'll yeah. go write it. Yeah, go write it. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a Midwestern vampire movie except maybe like Martin, which is set yeah. in – I guess it's set in like Pennsylvania. It's not really the Midwest, but it feels Midwestern. Like. And, and, and Near Dark is more Western, right? Yeah, Mark, yeah, yeah. I would call it a Western vampire movie. Uh, so write in if anyone has an idea. Everyone knows of a Midwestern vampire movie like – a vampire in Brooklyn, that's clearly not the Midwest. Uh, yeah, it says it on the tin. <laughs> yeah. Why did the movie come in a tin? That's what I want to know. Because <laughs> well, it was a limited edition collector's one. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, I found it. Uh, because when they finished the movie, they, they put it in a can and they said, close this up, never open it. <laughs> Bury it in the desert, 100 feet underground. <laughs> put it next to those E.T. cartridges. Uh, this one looks interesting. A furry's response to Pottersville. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, this is from Stephen, last name withheld. Colbert. Uh, greetings, floppers. Medium time listener, first time writer. Like it says in the subject line, I'm a long time member of the furry fandom. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say a little something about our representation in recent topic movie, Pottersville. In many ways, especially relative to previous appearances in other parts of pop culture of the years, it wasn't that bad. At multiple parts, it's portrayed as a weird yet pleasant little hobby that people join not for any discernible reason, but because it makes. It just makes sense. And whenever someone wanders into a group of furs, they can't help but enjoy themselves. Though one thing did get me thinking, watching the movie I saw, as with any time furries appear in media, that it was outrageously obvious to figure out which fursuits were put together by the costume department and which belonged to the actual furries who answered the background extras extras casting call. That's a very funny point. Real fursuits, among other things, generally have smaller heads, bodies that fit properly, and there's a general sense that it was made for a specific individual and not someone thinking that he's imitating the sports mascot aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So that leads to my question. Are there any niche hobbies you're involved in or know a lot about? Whenever it shows up in a movie or TV show, you can instantly tell if a person behind the scenes did their homework. What little things might jump out? Is it something more subtle than a character assuming that all video games are played by tightly clutching the controller close to the chest while waving it around? <laughs> yeah, it's the the James Gandolfini from like the first episode of The Sopranos where he just holds the controller with one hand to play Mario Kart. I'm like, that's impossible. <laughs> no man is that good. He has huge hands. <laughs> but bonus round, since we furries love everyone, you three are welcome to join us, which means you'll each need a fursona. Uh-huh. And while nobody can ultimately decide on the species except for you, allow me to offer a few suggestions. Mm-hmm. Very welcome. For Dan, the sloth comes to mind. <laughs> as it matches both his desire to conserve energy at all times and his willingness to fall asleep in any occasion. <laughs> for Elliot, the fennec fox is the clear choice. Oh, I would love that. Since those little guys will always make their voice heard above the crowd over and over and over again. Oh, I love fennec foxes. That's a good choice. Finally, for Stuart, since he's such a cool, dashing rogue mm-hmm. at home in the pack or lurking in the shadows of the night, <laughs> there can only be one option. The coolest and best animal ever to walk the earth, the raccoon. <laughs> oh, wow. He's a rascal. <laughs> Thanks for all the smiles. Keep up the great laughs. Stephen, last name of the house. What a great with letter. Terif- great. With terrifying little hands. I'm, it makes me, me kind of happy to hear that. Pottersville was not as bad a depiction of it as I thought, <coughs> at least from his point of view. Yeah. That, like, 
because usually I think when it's represented in media, it is represented as like a thing that crazy people do. That's really no, it's like yeah, it's like the butt of the joke. But it is a good point that I hadn't thought about. That it's like, oh yeah, if you really want to become this persona, you don't be. You're not like a, goof, a goofy mascot. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Bucky the Badger is not a is not a persona, you know. But uh, yeah, I could see being a fan of Fox with those big ears. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of like what my hobbies are for the first question. Like I'm just, like I I draw, I bake. I mean, it's not like a dating profile, Dan. Like you, you can think that in your head and then say out loud the one that applies to the. <laughs> well, question. no, I'm just saying that like drawing I'm, and baking are like not things that I've seen represented. Where I'm like, that's all wrong. Oh, I guess. Uh, but this, you've seen like working in television, like is often portrayed incredibly. Yeah, accurate. but it's not like, a hobby. I like this is not really a hobby either. But like I've noticed, I like to sing karaoke a lot, and I've noticed that depicted in movies or is it's always like weird depicted in movies. Like it's it's like often at a bar. That's not being dedicated to karaoke, uh-huh. and like there's just like people singing like off in a corner of the room while no one else is paying attention to them, mm-hmm. and that's not the way karaoke bars work. Yeah, me. you're used to getting up there, grabbing the mic, and then all eyes are on yeah, you. Yeah, I'm in the room, I'm the star. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a big, big bright shining star. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a bit of a tabletop gamer. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it's pretty obvious when, uh, it's pretty obvious when that stuff doesn't match up. Um, whether it's just the way people talk about Dungeons and Dragons or, uh, the way they hold their toy soldiers when they're pushing them around the table (laughs) (laughs) that you don't actually see that. I think the thing that gets to me a lot of times it less than it used to, as it's become more of a mainstream thing, but still somewhat is the way comic book fans are presented in movies and television or, or used to be where Mm -hmm. it was like. They just wouldn't do the, the bother to do the research about the details of it. Uh-huh. And something that actually—that's why you love Big Bang Theory so much. Ugh, God in heaven, don't even <laughs> don't even bring me to that dark place. But like I mentioned this at the Madison show last night, where in Forty Year Old Virgin, Steve Carell is supposed to be like this big nerd collector, and he has framed comic books on his wall. And the comics are clearly like new comics from the past year or two when the movie was made. And it's like, why did he frame that? It makes no sense. Like at least. Have your have the set decorator look up like an old comic book and print out a copy of the cover. Maybe it's a rotating it. thing where he puts a different his favorite comic of each year in the uh, oh, in the frame, or, or like his his book of the of the week. Gets, yeah, yeah, I, go, yeah. I go to my store on Wednesdays. I pick up my new books, read them all that day, and then I announce the best and frame it on my wall as my <laughs> book of the week. There's all there's also the moment in that movie when. Uh, Catherine uh, Keener finds that huge box of porn tapes in his house, and mm-hmm. she's like, "You must be a psychopath," and it's like. This is not the craziest thing for a guy to have. I mean, it's a big box of tapes, but like, if every guy who had yeah, like I mean, if he was like a normal guy and kept it all in a trash bag, like, <laughs> you, if he was a normal guy kept it in a trash bag in a hole in his backyard, yeah. <laughs> I found, and also like that was originally the plot of Frailty, starring <laughs> Bill Paxton. Uh, I'm also a serial killer, and a lot of the details of that is often get gotten wrong in movies. But Dan, you were saying what goes on next? Uh. Yeah, the only other qu- part of that question was the fur personas, but I think he nailed it so he did. well. That I can't I don't... fight that. Yeah. Uh, what happens next is we give a few recommendations of movies you should watch. Movies we like. Instead of Live Itself? Yes, mm-hmm. probably. <laughs> yep. Um, I'll go first. Uh, because this is a live show, I, of course, was on a plane. Oh, cool. So what did I watch? I watched Hotel Artemis. And, uh, before I get into this movie, just 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 take a listen to this cast. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, this is not the full cast, but a few names: Jodie Foster, uh-huh. Dave Bautista, uh-huh. Sterling K. Brown, oh. Jeff Goldblum, uh-huh. Brian Tyree Henry, Ooh. J. 
Ginny Slate, Zachary uh-huh. Quinto, mm-hmm. Charlie Day. Yep. I mean, come on, man. You're right. Any movie with a great cast has to be great. Just look at the original Casino Royale. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's got David Niven, Orson Welles, <laughs> Peter Sellers, Woody <laughs> Allen. It's nothing but great stuff. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying, an interesting cast, like a lot of fun character actors there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so Hotel Artemis, it's about a hotel for our – a, for a, dogs? For dogs. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Stars, dog, it's about a hotel for gods. <laughs> no, it's about a hotel that's actually a secret hospital for criminals uh-huh. where they go to get patched up by Jodie Foster. Cool. Uh, She's like a night nurse, but for bad guys instead of superheroes. Night nurse slash surgeon. Like, she really, like, does I mean, night everything. nurse does real surgery in the comics. Um, So, okay, I didn't know you were talking about Oh, a no, it's a character, character called Night Nurse who's in, who patches up superheroes okay. in the Marvel Universe. And Jodie Foster is giving a perform like a performance that I honestly can't tell whether is good or terrible because yeah. she's putting on this like tough old broad voice the whole time, <laughs> and she's clearly <laughs> having a, a ball great. doing it though. And uh, it's basically like it feels like if the hotel from John Wick got crossed with a little bit of Assault on Precinct Thirteen because it's oh. like hmm, oh. see. like a criminal comes in and like. That like other criminals are trying to like get in to like attack people, but it's a it's a neutral zone, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be a neutral zone, and Jodie Foster uh, also brings a police officer in to patch her up, played by Jenny Slade at one point, and that that seems like it breaks the rules. Yeah, honestly, that that thread kind of goes nowhere. <laughs> oh, okay, but uh, it's a fun little movie. Like it, it's it's a lot better at setting things off than. The setting things up and paying them off uh, in a satisfying way, but it's got a bit of that kind of John Carpenter like semi low budget, uh, fun little tight uh, yeah. science fiction y vibe. So it, it was fun. Cool. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie called Standoff at Sparrow Creek. Uh, it's a recent release, it's a tiny little uh, thriller kind of cut from the uh, Reservoir Dogs mold. Uh, it's set in the nineties in Michigan and it's a group of militiamen who hear over there. Michigan their... militiamen. Michigan militiamen. <laughs> I said it all without messing Red it leather, up. Red yellow leather. <laughs> yep. They, what did uh, you do to die today? And they hear over their CB that a, uh, policeman's funeral had been attacked by a man wearing, uh, body armor and holding a machine gun like he is a, or an assault rifle. Like he's, um, basically just like he's one of them. And then they realize that, uh, one of their assault rifles is missing and they start to turn on each other. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's. It's a not very violent movie. Uh, it's got some great character work, and it's got uh, a ton of uh, veteran character <coughs> actors like uh, Chris Monkey, who was in Gotti. So, yeah, if, if that sounds cool, check it out. Uh, I'd like to recommend a movie from a couple years ago that's called Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. Uh, oh, and yeah. it is a movie loosely based on an urban legend about a thing that people thought happened but didn't quite happen the way they thought. But anyway, it's about a, woman, a Japanese woman who does not – really fit into normal life and is having trouble understanding her purpose but sees herself as a finder of treasures and she be, has become convinced that the money from the movie Fargo was a real thing, that that movie was based on a true story and that she has the clues she needs to find that money and mm. goes on this kind of last-ditch desperate trip to America mm. without any resources really and without knowing much English, without knowing what she's doing to find this money as a way of kind of bringing meaning to her life and it's a it's a, it's a very strange movie, but it like in that it gets really across the feeling of I thought being kind of isolated from the world around you, yeah. and you know the whole time 
that money does not exist. And characters tell her that's not a real thing. That was just a movie. But she is so dedicated to this unachievable, very ridiculous goal that there's some, there becomes something kind of noble about that pursuit, even though, of course, it's doomed to fail. Uh, and it's a I really liked it a lot. It's a movie that, like, in the description, it where it kind of sounds like it might be trying. The description makes it sound like it's almost trying to be a Coen Brothers movie, but it is not trying to be a Coen Brothers movie, and it's it's really its own thing. So, Kamiko the Treasure Hunter, I liked it. Cool. Three movies recommended. Now what, Dan? Uh, now is the time when we sadly have to say goodbye. Mm. And I say extra sadly because it's always nice to see. Your face is in the same room. I mean, I see Stuart's beautiful face all the time, but... The most beautiful face, Hemsworth Limmel. Oh, oh, my face is beautiful now, huh, guys? (laughs) Okay, I don't know why that was making you defensive, but... (laughs) Oh, now I'm being defensive, eh? (laughs) And you're a little Canadian at the end? Hey, (laughs) I'm a defensive hockey player, I guess, character that I'm working on. (laughs) You're Saturday Night Live. Uh, This next character is named named Roger, the defensive hockey player. (laughs) Hey, hey, oh, hey. Oh, hey, so I want oh. you want me to hit the puck, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah, great to see you guys. It's always wonderful to be in the same space. Uh-huh. And uh, just exploring it. <laughs> just exploring the space together, exploring yeah. each other. Uh, I mean, exploring this hotel room, exploring the weird pillow that they always put on the bed that's mostly decorative. Why do they do that? It makes, it's like every time I get on the bed, I have to push that pillow out of the way. It's like, this is not helping anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even like the way it looks. Hotels, okay, this is a hot take before we go. Oh, Hot- wow. One of my oh, classic wow. patented hotel hot takes. Hotels, <laughs> enough with the big round decorative pillows that nobody uses. And back to you, Dan. Now it's time for Dan to deliver his patented hotel hotcakes. <laughs> oh, delicious. Oh, yummy. Okay, now someone's going to write it and be like, I use that, I use that pillow for my back pain and it's necessary for me and i'll be like i'm sorry uh yeah so everyone go to maximumfun.org check out other great podcasts on our network thank you network for having us yeah and if you liked this episode please uh (coughs) go to itunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review a five-star review a thumbs-up review some kind of positive review we have so much negative reviews in our lives from our family members from our friends from Mm -hmm. Really, uh, employers, we need some positivity. And also, maybe tell people about the show if you like it. One of the nice things about doing the show last night in Madison is people come up afterwards and they're like, oh, my friend got me into this show. Or like, I came with this friend of mine. Uh-huh. I got him listening to the show. And it's just really cool that people have been spreading it by word of mouth. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's it. Oh, Yay. Oh, wow. And in, and in big. For the <laughs> Flophouse, I've been Stuart <laughs> Wellington. I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Elliot Kalen saying, life itself, keep that on life on the shelf. <laughs> oh, whoa. Okay, I can't against. believe he said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, pre- I'm kind of America's bad boy. <laughs> so should we start doing the goodbyes again? Or? No, that's it. <laughs> See ya. In three, two. Sorry, my mom texted me, dude. I'll tell her to shut up. <laughs> what? what? Suddenly, you work for the Walnut Council. Yeah. Uh... I'm Dan McCoy for Walnuts, saying cram it with walnuts. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.